Joey the joke teller and I've got another riveting joke for everyone riveting is right thank you Ryan all right two jumper cables walk into a bar one of them says we'd like a couple beers please the bartender says okay but don't start anything (laughs) thank you I'm a recovered alcoholic my name is Zach Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a, a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise, that might, or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? So let's start the meditation. Thank you. 
God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Megan to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Um, hi, I'm Megan. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Amen. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about a recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Uh, yet it is true that our first printing gave uh, many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectac spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is, is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden uh, revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among, among our rapidly growing uh, membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, uh, though fre frequent, are by no means uh, the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsus unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious uh, members call it God consciousness. Uh, most emphatically, uh, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can uh, recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that uh, uh, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of, of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to inve investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Thank you, Megan. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to get into uh, our speaker here. 
Um, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane uh, slash meeting mode or just turn them off. Without further ado, uh, Mr. Joe. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe. I'm an alcoholic. The Wednesday night study group is my home group, and it's great to be here tonight. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to all those that are Zooming in tonight and Facebooking. And uh, My message is going to be focused towards those that are suffering from the disease of alcoholism. And uh, perhaps you're new to this program and you know, you're wondering if you have this thing or you're wondering uh, what you need to do. Uh, or perhaps you've been through this thing, you know, many rodeos, right? In and out and in and out and in and out. I talked about that last week. That's that detox and retox method and um, with no change in between. And, you know, so, I mean, it, a couple of things that uh, I want to really drive home in the beginning of my talk here tonight is the fact that, you know, if we... Uh, if we get this idea that if just stopping is going to perhaps be uh, the method that we're going to use or the strategy or the, uh, you know, the, the way we're going to try to go about this thing without changing, without having this psychic change that they talk about, uh, your, your destiny is certain. And uh, it's just more of the same. And uh, there's one thing that the, the pro, the, uh, the method of just abstinence will do it. It'll lead you back to drinking again. You know, and we, you know, there's many of us on, in this country that have done that and um, tried it and failed and tried it and failed. So um, if you're if you're looking for a way out, if you're looking to uh, change your life and become free from the disease of alcoholism, um, I'm going to talk about that right now. So. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. We've, we've talked about these three, three things that we hear in Alcoholics Anonymous when they read how it works in just about every meeting. Um, there's a few of us here in, in South Florida that really cover the, doctor, the, uh, uh, the three pertinent ideas that they talk about more in uh, how it works when we get to the fifth chapter. And those three ideas that they, that they talk about a that we're alcoholic and could manage our a that we're alcoholic could not manage our own life or aka thinking b that probably no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism or keep us stopped and see that god could and would if he were sought um, are the three things that we really need to concede to our innermost self we've got to we've got to be able to marry this information to our experience of drinking and drugging or whatever that deal is and, and take this information and see if it fits. Because if you're not going to concede, if you can't concede these three things, there's no possible way that you're going to be able to venture into step two, right? Nobody would want to seek a spiritual solution typically for their problem. if They don't think they need it. Right? Um, so those three, uh, concessions that we make to ourselves. uh, you know, we discover in, in, in the doctor's opinion, and we discover in there's a solution and more about alcoholism, and it gets us to a place where we can concede to our innermost self that A, that we're alcoholic and know exactly what that means, and that our, our life has become unmanageable, our thinking 
is really kind of a snapshot of our life, right? I mean, everything emanates from thought. Everything that we do, if you can look in your past and all the things that have happened to you and all the results and all the prices that we've paid and everything that we've done begins with a thought. Everything that you see on this planet begins with a thought, right? We have to, we have to think it first. And usually what, that, what follows from that thought is a feeling or an emotion. And we take an action based on that feeling or emotion. And we get a result. And most of us, by the time we get here, we are devastated with our results. And so are the people that, we, that surround us, you know, the people that love us. The collateral damage, I call it. The innocent victims. The people that, uh, whose lives have become impacted by our simply being in their path, Right? So, um, you know, we have, to, we have to look at some things. And, and the doctor's opinion points out very clearly that we have this physical and, and mental uh, malady. Malady is just another word for sickness, right? And um, those two things, those, that twofold part of this disease manifests itself in spiritual bankruptcy. There's many people that come in or that, that come into this world and, and, and grow into their young adulthood uh, that have uh, acquired a spiritual understanding of life. You know, they, they, that's, part of their, that's part of their life. And many of them do not drink, and drink alcoholically. Right? So the, the spiritual malady, um, the, the spiritual end of it will not lead to alcoholism. What happens is, is alcoholism leads to the spiritual malady. And we become spiritually bankrupt through our, through our alcoholism. So Dr. Silkworth, in the very beginning, he, uh, he says a few things that are really important for us to understand and married to our drinking. Some of those things are these. He had theorized way back when, when he treated many, many of, many of us, right? He, at Towns Hospital in New York City, was the only hospital on the eastern seaboard of America, one of the very few that treated alcohol and drug addiction. And the treatment that, that they would provide is simply bring us in and get us undrunk and undrugged, detoxed so that we could go back into society and hopefully continue to carry on our life in a, in a in a good fashion, but that usually didn't happen. Um, you know, he, people would go in there and for whatever kind of uh, uh, method he used, whether it was a belladonna treatment or the uh, hydrotherapy or what have you, would get us to a place where we had the alcohol removed from our system and he'd send us back out and hope for the best, right? And um, he would see patterns of alcoholics and they'd you know, inevitably, would if they were blessed enough or lucky enough to come back in, he would he would ask he would tell you know probably talk to them and say what happened. Well, I had a drink. I wanted to just relax or you know just uh, escape a little bit, and the next thing I know, I'm you know in the in, at the bottom again. Like I'm I'm devastated. My family's devastated, and I'm you know probably in loss of my my uh, reputation and my my career and what have you and. Uh, so Dr. Silkworth, he, 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 would, he recognized very early on that when we, that there was something wrong with our body as well. Not that we weren't just outright mental defectives or maladjusted to life, as he liked to call it. But society pretty much deemed us with a uh, weak-willed people, right? He, they would look at us as a, as a, as a group and, um, 
they would pretty much judge us as being weak-willed. Some would say that we were immoral sinners, that we were paying a penance for, for, for something that happened in our life where we were kind of outcasts from society. And they, so they thought it was a will thing. Today, to some degree, they still do. But Dr. Silkworth was sure that there was something wrong with our body as well. That when we put alcohol into our system, it created this phenomenal compulsion to drink more. This um, phenomenal craving that would, that would happen with us. So he said that any, anything that uh, left out this physical factor was, incomplete, was an incomplete picture of the alcoholic. And um, so that was his theory, and it's since become fact that this is exactly what happened. So rather than it be a theory anymore, it is a physiological demand that is produced within our body when we ingest alcohol, where when we put it in, we can't moderate and we can't stop. And we literally drink ourselves into oblivion, right? We, we are the kind of people that would take a drink, and the next thing we know, we would be s- drunk, still wanting to drink more. Now that's that's abnormal. It doesn't happen in a moderate drinker. Uh, you know, the casual drinker, they don't suffer that kind of uh, a reaction. So we called it an allergy and this this uh, abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage, or a substance. And, you know, so he pointed out that we not only had this mental obsession, right, this mental thing going on that doomed us to do the very thing that was killing us, you know, and we would put it in our body and we would end up wherever we'd end up. Um, so he came to some conclusions, some conclusions for us that uh, are rather important. So if when you drink, and I like to say, you know, it's very easy to, to boil it down to two sentences. If you can't stop when you start and you can't stop starting because of the obsession of the mind, then you're probably alcoholic. And this is what it says in uh, We Agnostics, which is where we're going to cover tonight. It says, um, says this. Forgive me, I didn't bring my bookmarkers. It says, in the preceding chapters, and he's referring, they're referring, Bill's referring to the doctor's opinion uh, his story, of course, and there's a solution more about alcoholism. In these, in these preceding chapters, we have learned something of alcoholism, right? We hope that we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely or stay stopped, right? Or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Why do we come to that conclusion? Well, if you're a real alcoholic and you've been going through this thing for a while, you have tried every possible human remedy known to your world, right? You've tried mom and dad to get you stopped, to keep you stopped. You've Jail couldn't keep us stopped. The judge couldn't keep us stopped. No human power that we attempted to help have help us stay stopped would work. Now, they could help us get stopped, right? They could drive us to a detox or someplace where we could go in and we, can get, we could get stopped, but they could not keep us stopped. So we could not be relieved of our alcoholism by human power. That's pretty easy to come to the conclusion of, right? It's pretty easy to concede 
that nobody on earth has been able to keep us stopped. We've always started again. And they, they, ref, they, they uh, refer that to an obsession of the mind. It's, I call it the lie. It's, it's very simple. That, you know, I can get stopped and, and uh, go back into society, get back, get out of detox, or I can even go through the transitional housing and what, whatnot and re- refrain from working a program of recovery and seeking the solution that Bill and Bob came to. Um, and nothing changes in between. And lo and behold, I'll stay stopped for a while. You know, things will get better. I'll get a little job and, you know, probably get a little girlfriend. And, you know, my mind is focused on getting the things back in my life, the things back in my life that would reflect me doing well. Like you could look at me and you'd think, wow, he's really got his stuff together. He's doing the right thing. And, you know, things are on a roll. And then all of a sudden, at some point, either from a uh, something happening or something, it's perfectly a normal day and everything's cool. You know, the thought will come into my mind that, geez, it wasn't that bad, you know. And I could have just left devastation. I could have left breaking every heart that, that I have in my world, right? I could have, uh, you know, lost my job and lost everything, right? And I get two or three months removed and my mind says, geez, you know, it wasn't that bad. How, that's impossible to be able to, to honestly say to yourself, and for some reason, I could only bring into my mind with sufficient force what booze and, al- booze, and booze did for me rather than what it did to me. I can get out of jail and I can be going along and, you know, I two or three days out of jail. And here's the threat of commitment or, you know, commitment and loss of freedom and, and, and you know, just all the devastation that follows going to jail. In my mind because of this internal condition, is screaming for relief. I have such conflict going on inside me that I'll have a crazy thought, like a lie that says, well, you know, nobody will know. I'll just do a little bit tonight. I need relief. I need to escape, right? I need need to just calm down. And uh, I'll convince myself by this idiotic lie, in spite of all the attempts before and all the devastation that leads up to it, that I can do just one, or that it won't hurt me this time, or I'll just manage it different. That lie is going to doom me, and it says here, if, if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, that's the reason, right? So if I can concede to my innermost self that those two things fit for me, right? I've got the first piece to the puzzle. Then it's simply coming to, to the conclusion of B, that no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism, and I like to say, could keep me stopped. Because when you're relieved of alcoholism, you're able to stay stopped, right? And, um, you know, I just look at all the people that I devastated in my life, and I tried to, you know, every time I would come back come back in and, you know, get, get on my feet again and, you know, get a little job, get some money in my pocket, I would, you know, I would build the trust up of my family, even though they were skeptical and pull it right back down all over their heads, right? And break their hearts once again. So this uh, nightmare went on and on and on. And um, so those two things are imperative that I concede to my innermost self. Because if I realize that I certainly am alcoholic, that I have this thing within my skin, right? Where I can't stop when I start, and I can't stay stopped, I can't stop starting, and no human power could relieve me, then 
what do I do? Right? What, what then do I do? Well, C says, right, he, that God couldn't would if he were sought. Right? That God couldn't would if he were sought. So we're going to talk about a spiritual pursuit. And, uh, you know, I don't know of any other pursuit that, that really works on the way this does. You know, I'm sure that there's a small group of people out there somewhere that, that have figured out something else. But this is, going to, this is going to get me to the place where I've got to become open-minded to the possibility that the way I think it is isn't the way it is. You know, this whole, this, this whole thing uh, about this spiritual pursuit, I make up in my mind what I think that is, right? I have that, I'm the Herbert Spencer. I had that contempt prior to investigation. I have this, 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 this method, this strategy, this approach that I have been so entrenched in that has continued to get me nowhere, right? And it's, it's what I know. It's, it's the things that I know that are actually killing me. It's the things that I know about, you know, the, the method to get sober, the, the, the steps that I've got to take to do so, right? The, the, the demand that I have to pick and choose my way through this thing, that I'm going to do certain things and I'm not going to do certain things, that I'm going to be open to certain things and I'm not going to be closed to some things, right? That, that is a, a failing strategy. And all I know that, the reason I know that is because of my past, the reason I know that without a doubt, factually, is because of the evidence of my life. And we all have evidence. We all have this 25-mile-high pile of evidence that's screaming at us that the way I think it is is just not the way it is. And my sponsor told me that when I, when I, would, when I first came in, and I, 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 was, I was disturbed about that. You know, what are you talking about? You know, I can see, and I can feel, and I can hear, and I can... You know, everything that I can do, you can do. And you're saying that the way I think it is, is not the way it is. Well, it says also in here that that the alcoholic can't differentiate the true from the false. That our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. And um, so I'm here to to say, I'm here to, 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 to validate that this approach, if followed the way it's written in here, can lead you to a place of freedom can lead you out of the bondage that we have been in for years, some of us decades, right? But I have to become open to the possibility that this spiritual solution can work for me in spite of what I think. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things that I'm going to talk about moving just briefly from uh, there's a solution So very shortly after uh, Bill talks about the fact, one of the facts is he says this, says the fact is that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure have lost the power of choice and drink. Doesn't talk. He's not meaning that, that we lost the power to choose what we're going to drink. Right. He's talking about the, 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 the choice of being able to drink or not. He says we've lost that choice. You hear people talk about sometimes where they say, I, will, you know, the, I chose not to drink today. Well, if you're a real alcoholic, you've lost that choice. You didn't choose anything, right? If you're able to choose not to drink, you're not one of us. It's just that simple, right? You don't need this solution. It says, uh, for reasons yet obscure, we've lost uh, the power of choice in drink. 
our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force a memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month prior. We are without defense against the first drink. And that is the conversation when the obsession is prevalent, where the internal condition of fear and remorse and regret and shame and you know, all those things that we have accumulated and harbored over the, over the past years of drinking, of what we do to people and how we've lived our life, that internal condition will manifest itself in restlessness, irritability, and discontent, right? And that will always precede the lie. It'll always precede the lie. It'll always propel me into a, a line of thinking where I can give myself permission to put the poison that's killing me in my body every single time. It says, um, now, if you, look at that, if you look at that fact, that is, if the, if the obsession is present, in other words, if we're walking around with an alcoholic mind or untreated alcoholism, my mind can't bring, my mind will only remember what alcohol did for me, the sense of ease and comfort. It will not be able to recall what it did to me every single time, right? So, it says on page 25 that there is a solution and it's going to talk about certain things that um, we're able to acquire once we pick up this book and do this work. It says uh, self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which a process requires for a successful consummation. And then it says, uh, when therefore we were approached by those with whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools. Bill never used the same word twice. So he's referring to steps laid at our feet. It's, it's right here for everybody. It says we have found much. Now, when we do that and we've worked the process and we've had the spiritual awakening as a result of it, it says this, and this should be good news to everybody. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is this and nothing less that we have deep that we have had deep and effective spiritual experience experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life toward our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact in other words central to everything else the most important thing of our life of where everything else is underneath it it says, the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. It says this, if you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. I don't know if you all remember the uh, old Monty Hall, Let's Make a Deal, where they had three doors, right? Well, this is a two-door proposition, right? Door number one, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. Step one, right? Door number one. Or door number two, to accept spiritual help. That, uh, that we have to be convinced of. 
right? Through the evidence, through the the, the, the experience of our life, all the, all, all the attempts, all the repeated attempts to try and stay stopped, right? We never stayed stopped until we worked this process. So there, I, I'm here to tell you there is no door number three. Right? Door number one, go on to the bitter end, right? Door number one, go on to the bitter end. Continue until it takes us out. Or door number two, Accept spiritual help, right? Now, then we go into this story about, you know, Bill brings this, this fellow's story uh, up in, more, in uh, There's a Solution. His name was Roland Hazard. And uh, up until this point in the book, the only thing that we really have is the fatal nature of alcoholism, right? The physical and mental uh, malady, the sickness, absolutely dooming us to drink ourselves to death. But then Roland Hazard comes into, into, the, into play here, and um, we got our problem from Dr. Silkworth in, in Towns Hospital in New York City. This guy was a very, he was a, a very competent businessman. Uh, his dad was filthy rich. He owned a lot of uh, mills and businesses in, in uh, the upper uh, northeast. And money was not a problem to get him treated. And Roland, you know, when we're back in that day, when you were an alcoholic and a real, real mess, uh, they tended to keep you under wraps, right? They didn't really want you like going around because it was a stigma, right? I mean, society deemed us just lost causes. And um, so his dad had repeatedly tried to get Roland help and sent him to a lot of uh, what we call treatment centers today, but they were sanitariums back then. And um, so he took one last effort, right? And he wanted to get Roland in to see Dr. Sigmund Freud. And Dr. Freud was the most brilliant mind on the face of the planet. The only difference was he was not a, uh, a believer, so to speak. He was a, uh, uh, a humanist, uh, probably atheist, I would imagine, and felt that all solution would have to come through um, these brilliant minds or um, some type of uh, worldly uh, remedy, right? And so the, the good news for us is that Dr. Freud was busy, and one of his protégés is uh, probably somebody that mentored under him and, and practiced under him and uh, came up under him. Um, the, the difference was is Dr. Carl Jung was uh, a believer. He gave... He gave validity to a, a, a spiritual aspect of life, spiritual side of life. And um, they had broken off. And so when Roland's dad tried to get him with him, he, he couldn't with Freud. He was busy, thank God. And he got him with Dr. Carl Jung. Well, the treatment went the, treatment went the way the treatment went, right? I mean, for a lot of us, we get a pretty good idea of our, of our triggers and you know, a, a pretty good understanding of our past and uh, our lives, and you know, we get an understanding basically of what we've been through to this point. Um, we know what we know, and um, it says he he floundered through from one sanitarium to the other. And when he got with um, Carl Jung, he was skeptical that it would work. Well, I mean, I don't know who doesn't go to treatment like ten times, five or ten times, and get a little skeptical if it's going to work or not, right? So he had the same experience, though experience had made him skeptical. 
He, he, it says he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. We bounced back pretty good as alcoholics. Above all, listen to this. It says, above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs, we call them triggers today, that relapse was unthinkable. Right? So he self-knowledge. He got a lot of self-knowledge about what happened and um, figured that, that relapse was unthinkable. Never, nevertheless, he was drunk in a very short time, like really short time, like as soon as he, as he got, finished his treatment and was on his way back to where he was going, he was drunk within, uh, within days. And uh, so he goes back to the doctor whom he admired, and he couldn't, you know, he, he wished above all things to, to, to find out what happened. Why, why did this happen? And um, it says, and notice what it says. If anybody out there is thinking that the, that the uh, 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 hope is, is that you're going to be able to control your drinking at some point in the future, that's a bad, that's a bad way to out, have an outlook, right? It says, he wished above all things to regain self-control. Hmm. That's interesting. So going into the treatment, maybe he was thinking the wrong thoughts about regaining self-control in drinking, right? It says he seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control over alcohol. Why was this? So he begs his doctor to tell him the truth, right? And um, tell him the whole truth, and he got it. It says, and this is after a year of treatment, mind you. The doctor's judgment was that he was utterly hopeless, that he could never regain his position in society and would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. This was a great physician's opinion. This is after a year of treating with this doctor. I don't know about anybody else, but I'd be asking for my money back at that point. Like, God, you could have told me that a year ago, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, he, he, he further on it says that... Um, the doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Well, listen, this was a last gasp effort to try and get this guy sober. And um, says Roland felt as though the gates of hell closed in on him with a clang. I don't know about you, but I mean, if I was put in that position and I had the most brilliant mind on the planet telling me that I was hopeless... I probably believe him. So he said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Now this is a difference between Freud and this doctor. This is a difference between somebody that gives the spiritual aspect of life validity and credibility, right? Says, yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are a phenomenon. In other words, he didn't know how to tell Roland how to get one. He says, but they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men. In other words, what you know, or the psyche that whatever your psyche is, your whole understanding of life and how to navigate through it, Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So in other words, we have to, what, the, what he's saying is, is that the way you think it is, 
is what is what is killing you. And it's what you don't know is going to save your life. That's exactly what we come to Alcoholics Anonymous for, isn't it? To find out what we don't know. My biggest statement to people that I would, you know, halfway house owners or detox, whoever, didn't matter who it was. But I would always approach it saying, I know what I need to do. Now, how could you do that? How could you say that you know what you need to do if failure resulted every single time? Wow. People would look at me. I'd I'd go to my my loved ones, you know, my family, and say, I know what I need to do. They'd look at me with the biggest deer in the headlights look like, oh, my God. No, you don't. Right? No, you don't know what you need to do because it has resulted in this every single time. Got it? Right? The greatest obstacle to learning anything is that which you already know. It always gets in the way. Right? So it says, in fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many of the individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, probably with hard or heavy drinkers. But I've never been successful in alcoholic ear description. We know that to be a, a real alcoholic. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat real, relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. Now think about this. This is really important to everyone that's sitting and listening right now. He said, this, how, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. You can go to church 10 times a week, every week of the year, and not become holy. You can go to AA meetings every day of the year and not become recovered. That's just the way it is. Attendance does not provide the necessary vital spiritual experience. Fellowship recovery is critical to us, but it will not expel the obsession to drink alcohol. Only a power greater than ourselves will. So if you look at no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism, they're talking about anything that has to do with human power. And meetings are one of those things. So are detoxes. So are hospitals. So are treatment centers. They're all facilitated and staffed by human beings. They do not have the power to keep me stopped. Nobody does. So you got to ask yourselves, why have I always started again? In spite of. Well, that's exactly what this book is all about. Its main object is to enable us to pursue a relationship with this power that will relieve us from not only our alcoholism, but all things in life. In the 12 and 12 in the preface, it says, The 12 steps are a set of principles, spiritual in nature, which if when practiced as a way of life can not only expel the obsession to drink, but enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. There's not one of us that ever walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous in the beginning that were whole. That our lives were just fine. We didn't come from a penthouse and on the beach in a, in, a, in a limousine usually 
to try and fix, try and get our problem under, under control, right? So that's, um, I think, something that, that is most important. The ideas, the emotions, and attitudes that were once our guiding force of the lives of these men and women are suddenly or gradually cast aside. You see, um, William James in his book, as, as Bill pointed out, and Ebby had left him a copy of the, the book, um, Varieties of Religious Experiences, explain what we're after in this program. We're after this, this, this spiritual awakening, this, this caterpillar to the butterfly type of transformation, conversion, whatever you want to call it, um, that takes us from who we are when we get here, and, and rockets us into somebody that we've never been before. And usually that, for most of us, that takes this gradual, gradual educational variety of uh, experience, right? I like to say my, my uh, spiritual experience is something that I'll, that I'll go through for the rest of my life, and, or the, gradu- the uh, spiritual awakening, and, it will, and it's composed of thousands of little spiritual experiences and they you know, my sponsor always used to say, they sound like this. Oh, that's what you're talking about. It's like all of a sudden when, when, when we learn something new and learn a truth, our, our reality grows. So this, uh, this being says this. says, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first as a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. It says a new life has been given us, or if you wish, a design for living. So when I say, what is this? How do we go from who we become into who we can be? Right? Who we who we were created to be? What our what our what our purpose is? What our destiny is? Right? Why are we here? Because I'll tell you what. If you're like me and you got to the end, I couldn't stand me. I had no idea why I was even on planet earth. And I felt useless and hopeless and purposeless. And I come in here and I find out I wanted that guy to die. I didn't want anything to do with him anymore. I couldn't stand him. And little did I know when I embarked on this deal and I started to implement these principles into my life and discarding the selfish and self-centered principle. In other words, discarding dishonesty and incorporating honesty. As you know, and 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 so on and so on, that I had that I had literally become a butterfly. I mean, I, I literally went through that transformation. So I don't see diff- I don't see things the same way. I don't interpret things the same way. I don't perceive things the same way. Um, and consequently, when you think differently, when you think differently than the way we have thought, you will feel differently. Right? If you think differently, you'll feel differently. You'll act differently and you'll get different results. That's the way it happens. Right? Um, so this entire psychic change they talk about is simply the implementing of the spiritual principles behind each step. The essence of the step. The spiritual nature of the step. And incorporating those and discarding all the selfish and self-centered principles. So that at the end I have the spiritual transformation, right? It says, uh, it says we, think, we think it no concern of ours that religious, what religious bodies members identify themselves with. 
as individuals. They should, that should be entirely personal affair, which one decides for himself in the light of past associations. Or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. Right? So it's not in the... Like Roland, it's not in our religious convictions. You know, I mean, normally when people said that you turn your will and your life over to the care of God, that's our third step, that my mind went to, well, I'm going to have to redouble that. So what is it, to me, how I would interpret that with a broken mind would say, well, then I've got to go back and double down on what I learned. Well, it doesn't matter what our religious convictions were. If I didn't have the relationship that I needed that was sufficient to overcome alcoholism, then I had to reapproach this thing. I had to follow some directions. I had to follow the, the coaching and guidance of a sponsor that knew that the way I pursued a relationship with this power was ineffective, was it not? It wasn't that the power was ineffective. It was the whole way I approached it, the expectations I had. I don't know what's going on with this thing. Hold on. There we go. Now, it says this further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. Each individual in his personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. Now, that's typically what, you, what, we're, what we're told to share from the podium, isn't it? It's usually what really that speakers in, in speaker meetings are supposed to talk about. But if you've never had this spiritual awakening, if you've never had this implementation, implementation of this design of spiritual principles... What are you going to talk about? The only thing you know. The only thing you have. The past. And people don't need that. That are dying of alcoholism and, you know, shaking like a $3 outboard in the back of the meeting. We know how to, we know the, how to get drunk. We know how to mess up our lives and destroy our lives. Tell me how to recover. Tell me what the solution is. So uh, more about alcoholism, of course, is just nothing more than confirming that uh, inability to stay stopped because of the obsession of the mind, this lie that we have with ourselves. That, uh, we're looking to um, give ourselves you know, permission to drink. And that's really important. You know, the, the unmanageability comes in um, the brokenness of my mind in, 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 in thinking that I have this perfectly you know, right path that I need to follow, right? That, um, so when I look at uh, that my life has become unmanageable, I can simply say that my thinking has become unmanageable because my life is nothing more than a product of my thinking. Got it? Um, no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. No human power could keep me stopped. It's pretty simple if you put it in the right language, right? So, um, let's see here. One of the stories in more about alcoholism um, talks about this fellow that um, wouldn't concede the information that the, that the people that visited him uh, about step one. And certainly if you're not going to, if you can't get to the consent, Mike, could, could you fix this for me? It's driving me nuts. Um, I don't really know why that 
that keeps coming off. Um, but he would not. There you go. Thank you. He would not give in to the fact that he was an alcoholic and he was always in comparison. He wasn't in identification, right? He was always comparing, you know, his life to to the to the people that were trying to help him. And you know, he he was kind of like the of the mindset that I'll I'll probably do some. I would probably do something about this drinking if my life got as bad as yours. So it was always like this comparison mode, and um, so. He goes. He goes on, and, he, and all of a sudden, he goes goes uh, on this business trip, and things are going well. And he, all of a sudden, the thought comes into his mind on a perfectly beautiful day that it'd be nice to have uh, a couple of cocktails at dinner. So, what happened is, is he 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 ends up having a cocktail, then he has another cocktail, and then after dinner, he has some highballs. So I guess I, I don't know what I don't I don't exactly know what what they are, right? I mean, cocktails are like, you know, a fancy word for a drink, but then he expresses that they become like highballs. And I, you know, I would imagine that's probably more straight liquor. Anyway, he gets really, really messed up. And uh, at that point, he was really ready to concede that he had this problem. He was, he was matter of fact, he was anxious to see these guys at that point. And um, it says this, it's, it's, it's funny because he says, uh, I rather appreciate what you guys have uh, said about this alcoholism thing and um, you, you, that they prophesied to him that the day would come that though he might have raised some kind of defense that he would actually cave in. And uh, that's exactly what happened. We And we can pretty much prophesy the same thing. Um, and then he says he had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that, alco- that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington, drinking casually as those of ginger ale, was a hopeless condition. A hopeless condition. It says they outlined the spiritual answer and the program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But the program of action though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. Listen to this. It meant that I would have to throw all several, throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. It's what he knew that was killing him. And it's what we know that's killing us. And it's what we don't know that's going to save our life. So, um, it says this at the end of the chapter more about alcoholism. It says, once more the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher higher power, power greater than himself. So when we agnostics, when we get into... So in in doctor's opinion, we have the absolutes on the, the physical and mental aspects of this thing. And there's a solution that talks about the absolute certainty for the need of power. Right, that we're powerless, we need power. And then in uh, More About Alcoholism, it goes into the further confirm and drive home this mental obsession that we, that we suffer from that only a power greater than ourselves can restore us from sanity. And we agnostics is really why it's better to believe than not believe. Right? Why is it better to believe than not believe? Because I'm dying, that's why. Right? Um, certain death is, is looming. 
So it says, uh, if when you honestly want to, you, can find, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So at this point, if we've concluded and conceded the first two proposals, then it shouldn't be a real hard decision to seek. They're leading us from the doctor's opinion through this chapter 4 so that we can stand in our skin and make the most important decision of our life in 3, right? The third step decision is going to decide our entire destiny, our entire future. Got it? Like we make the wrong decision, we're up the creek. It says, um, to one who feels he is an atheist or an agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. Okay? We know that an atheist does not believe in, the, believe in God and that an agnostic is the, the, the uh, confused one that, that is not really certain that uh, they can count or rely upon God. Not that they don't believe. It's just that they have a hard time you know, feeling confident that God can restore their, their problem or, or fix their problem. It says, but, and here's the key. It says, but to continue on as we have means disaster especially if we're an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Can't stop, can't stop starting. To be doomed to an alcoholic death, step one, or to live on a spiritual basis, step two, are not always easy alternatives to face. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with that when I was given this information correctly. You know, it seemed like a pretty obvious solution, obvious step. Um, at first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Or else what? Die. Die, right? It says, if a mere code of morals or better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how much we uh, tried. Right, Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how many, you know, if you think, I'm here to tell you that if the program of 12 steps is not incorporated into, into this method and strategy of trying to overcome your problem, that uh, it's pretty certain that we're going to drink again, without a doubt, right? If you think that, because uh, you hear it all the time, just don't drink good meetings. Well, what does that mean, right? So does it mean attendance is the key? Does it mean I got to go more? If I go more, can I be more recovered, right? When you hear somebody explain that they're recovered from, they're, they're a recovered alcoholic, they're not saying that, they're, that they'll never have the allergy to alcohol. It doesn't mean that, we, that if we, you know, 30 years from now that we put booze into our mouth that it won't set up that craving. It will, Right? But what we do is we recover from the hopeless condition of the mind. And then the, the body follows, right? If, if, if I don't have this obsessive lie in my head telling me it's okay to put alcohol in me for relief, then the body's not going to be aggravated. I'm not going to put a drink in my mouth. The whole key to this thing is establishing a relationship with this power where the power becomes my ease and comfort and my relief, and my go-to, rather than the very thing that's been killing me, right? So, 
says this, lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had lost the power. The, uh, a dilemma is a situation requiring a choice between two unpleasant alternatives. <laughs> right? I'll say that again. A dilemma is any situation requiring a choice between two unpleasant alternatives. To seek or not to seek, right? Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how are we to find this power? And then it says this. Guess what? Nobody has to figure it out. Nobody has to make it up. Nobody has to rewrite it. It says, well, that's exactly what this book is all about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will restore your pro- which will, will solve your problem. So we don't have to figure out what we need to do in order to seek this relationship with this power such that our lives are completely transformed. It is written out in clear-cut directions that if we get somebody that knows this book and has had this experience, they can walk us right through it. They're not going to add their opinion to it. They're not going to add their, their side of it. They're going to go right through this thing specifically, 1 through 12, right? And the whole key is, is that if we know we're powerless, we want to seek the power, what do we have to do? Well, first you've got to decide to seek the power. We're going to do that. In the next chapter, we're going to do that next week. We're going to, we're going to make the decision to seek this power the way they've got described, so that we can follow the directions that they say will get us a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Not the way I think I need to go seek this power. Not the religious way I used to do it. Not the way I, I thought I needed to do it. You know, I would always want to gravitate to that. I never wanted to step out of my box and consider something different. I didn't consider it valuable. I didn't think it would work for me. You know? That won't work. Yeah, you're right. That won't work. You know what I mean? I was always in argument, always defying, always wanting to negotiate the way I went through this thing. And it failed every single time. But if I make that decision to seek this power, they've got outlined exactly what I do right then and there next, immediately, at once. Isn't that amazing? I can engage in this thing up until this point, I've done nothing to take any action. All I've been doing is conceding to myself, to my innermost self, that these things are, are certain. That I'm alcoholic, couldn't manage my own life. No power could relieve, no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism or keep me stopped. And that God couldn't would if he were sought, if he were sought the way they've got outlined. Did I want a different result? Yeah, I wanted a different result. I kept getting the same results. Well, if you want things to be different, you've got to do things different. And you've got to be open-minded to do it. And you've got to be willing, right? These things are indispensable. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. It, it means that we can't do without them. But what hangs in the balance? My God, my family, my freedom, my future, my life. Everything hangs in the balance. The only thing that booze and drugs must do, must do, 
that human people that people can't do is beat me into a state of teachability. I've got to be teachable. If I'm not teachable, or if I'm not willing to be open-minded and learn and be taught, I'm a dead man walking. Thanks. All right, let's uh, let's thank the speaker, uh, Joe. And uh, can I get the secretary report? Could Joe be? How you guys doing? Joey Alcoholic? Joey. Sorry. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. As well, uh, we also have a square wrap in case no one has cash. Don't worry. Take all major credit cards. So that's nice. Anyway, um, at this time, thank you. Uh, at, the, at this time, I've asked Will to come up and read the recovered statement. Explains why most of us identify as recovered alcoholic versus recovering. As Joe emphasized um, uh, just prior. So Will, come on up. Read the recovered statement. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Wilbur Addict. Hey, Will. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. We are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Will. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% 25% showed up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Uh, now I'm going to ask a show of hands of all recovered alcoholics in the room. Beautiful. Um, also in the Zoom room, pop those hands up. Uh, now, um, anyone here or in the Zoom slash Facebook world that would need a sponsor, please raise your hand. All right. All good here. Anyone in the Zoom room, recovered alcoholics, go say, hey, how you doing? I introduce yourself. You try to um, get these people to God. And yeah, please. Thank you. Um uh, please join us on Monday nights in this room. We have a big book study meeting. It's a great time. Big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at six thirty. Big book study meeting starts at seven fifteen. We got Mike Chase. We got Ryan on the um, traditions. Chris and Old Bill. It's all good fun. Uh, hope to see you there. Um, we have CDs, mugs, intergroups, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale at your local intergroup. Pop on by there. 
pick those up. Another way to contribute to um, this lovely program. And we meet every Thursday here, uh, promptly starting at 715 with um, 630 Fellowship and a lovely historical slideshow. Mike Chase produced, not produced, but you get it. He put it up. It's beautiful. Go check it out. We, We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. All right, so I want to announce we have tonight's session and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday Night Big Book study, and those whom wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down center aisle. Um, <laughs> let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Prayer. God. Our Father, who art in heaven, come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our bread, and forgive us our trespassers, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
now I'm growing vines They twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time That's at my door God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you.